0: Welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and I'll be your host of this season three, episode 10 of Fire Away. Reminder that Fire Away streams online every month. If you miss an episode or you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website, if you are watching live today, we'd love to answer any questions you might have. So feel free to ask by either posting a comment on Facebook or on YouTube, or you can always tweet them to at Rudner Law. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Lisa Taylor. Lisa is the president of the Challenge Factory. She's a speaker, a researcher and a consultant on today's changing world of work. She's also an author, having written The Talent Revolution, Longevity and, and the Future of Work, and also a series of playbooks for small businesses and not-for-profits and charities uh, called Routine and Gain. And most recently, just in time for Remembrance Day, she published the Canadian Guide to Hiring Veterans. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on Fire Away.
1: It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I think it's gonna be a great discussion. Lisa and I have known each other for years, and I remember the first time we met because we had some great discussions about some of the issues that we're gonna talk about today, which just goes to show that the issues don't change all that much over the years. Now just uh, one other thing that I was reminded of is that November is career month in Canada. So we're gonna be looking at a number of issues relating mostly to older workers and veterans in the workplace and how they can be approached both from a career development perspective, but also an employment law perspective. So let's get started. And I'm gonna flash back a little bit to some of the discussions we probably had back when we first met. Uh, I had to go and look online to see that it's actually been 14 years since oh my mandatory God. retirement was abolished in Ontario. And that has created some interesting challenges and also some interesting opportunities in the workplace, uh, but also some very unanticipated consequences. And I'll run through a couple really briefly and then I'll stop talking and, and let you uh, contribute to the discussion. Uh, but one of the things that I've seen is that we used to assume that when somebody was sort of nearing or at retirement age, The assumption was if they were let go, their their severance package would be minimal because everyone expected them to retire anyways. Now there's no more mandatory retirement. Our courts have made it very clear. We cannot assume someone is going to retire. People are working later in life either because they want to or because they have to. So we're seeing people in their 70s and at least one case that I know of in their 80s that are suing for wrongful dismissal and getting substantial severance packages as a result. And this has led to what I always think of as a game of chicken where you have an older worker who realizes that if they retire, they don't get anything as far as severance goes. So they hang around waiting for the package. And on the other hand, you've got your employer who doesn't want to pay out a package. They're waiting around, waiting for the employee to retire. And it becomes this very unhealthy relationship where they're both playing chicken, waiting for the other one to to act. Um, The other unanticipated consequence, actually two others. One is that uh, when you have an older worker who may not be performing the way they used to, What used to happen in the old days is the employer would allow it to just go on because they knew it was a finite period of time. They knew this employee would only be around for so long, so they would tolerate perhaps a lesser level of performance, allow the person to retire with dignity, and that'd be that. Now they're faced with this prospect that they have no idea how much longer the individual is going to be around. Then they start to think about performance management and other things which make the situation even less healthy and can often lead to claims of discrimination or harassment. Um, And the last thing I'm seeing is people are scared to hire older workers, you know, people who are, I'll say, 55 plus, certainly 60 plus, because, again, they don't know how long this person will be around and they don't want to be stuck with them, you know, beyond traditional retirement age. So those are some of the issues I see. And we, of course, guide our clients through them uh, from the employment law perspective. But I want to get some of your insights. So I'll I'll start with one of the scenarios I talked about. an an employer has an older worker whose performance may be deteriorating, may not be performing as they used to. So what do you recommend that they do to address that situation?
1: It's a great question. And you've just uh, described the situation with lots that we can get into and unpack. And so one of the first questions that I have from a career development perspective is, when was the last time that employee Uh, had been given any kind of training professional development, a meaningful career conversation that was future focused, when was the last time that they had had any kind of discussion to make sure that they were continuing to advance their skills and continue to maintain their performance over the course of their career? Oftentimes, when we see uh, managers talking about older worker performance declining, It's really interesting because the research actually shows that our performance only continues to get better over the course of our careers and lifespan. So if performance is declining in a 28 year old or a 32 year old or a 41 year old, we have ways that we ask questions about what's happening. Why are they changing? What's not fitting for them in terms of the way that the work is happening? Somehow we hit a magical age, and in Canada, it's very early, around 49, when all of a sudden future-focused conversations around additional training and skill development, where are you going next, uh, what's happening in your career, what aspirations do you have, we stop having those conversations. And in large part, that's because of exactly what you just mentioned. We assume that there's only a little bit of time until people are going to move on anyways and so we shouldn't really waste our energy and effort in having those conversations and really isn't it just a kindness to let people coast but performance is a funny thing and if you haven't engaged with a conversation in you know sometimes a decade it's no doubt that you're checked out in your job and so this is a two-way street this isn't just an a uh, this isn't just an employee performance issue
0: yeah, I have to tell you the fact that you said 49 is the magic age is extremely disturbing given that I'm currently 48 and a half. Uh, <laughs> and I'm the boss. So I guess I'm gonna have to have this conversation with myself at some point as to why my performance is deteriorating. Uh but kidding yeah. aside, you make a great point because I hear the stories of how people who you know, they've been in a company for 20, 30 years never talk to somebody in HR. All of a sudden now the HR person is starting to come around and ask questions or fish around for their retirement plans and that's just never never going to get a good reaction at that point.
1: Yeah so the ability to have honest and open conversations that are future focused is not something that should happen because there is an event or an activity that one party or the other thinks justifies that introduction. Career development is lifelong so the field of career development and how we think about ourselves and engage in the market, the way that we look at what's going on and where we wanna fit actually starts at age five when we enter the school system. And we start to make decisions about where our skills fit with what's going on in our classrooms and our communities. That conversation needs to start right early on and continue throughout our entire lifespan. So if as a manager or as an HR department, You've never had a career conversation with your staff and all of a sudden you find that you have an employee who is 68 or 69 and you're really wondering and now you wanna know, well, how can I ask that conversation? It's very hard to initiate that kind of trust-based discussion. It's going to feel like there's a major event and that's because it's been structured that you think there should be a major event. So training managers and having a lifelong career development perspective with your workforce, training managers to be able to have those conversations so they don't shy away from them. They're not worried about asking questions about what people think for, the, for their own futures is a critical skill that helps make this easier for everyone.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice. And we see, of course, typically what happens when people don't do that and when people go or when things go sideways. Uh, but the other, it's ironic because I see two extremes of, of the same issue, which is people are either terrified of asking any questions for fear of a human rights claim for age discrimination, uh, or they ask all the wrong things. You know, so I've seen situations where the, you know, the, either the owner of the company or HR or the manager says, so when are you planning to retire? And the, when the person says, oh, you know, I'll probably work another couple of years, then they put in writing and ask the person to sign saying, you confirm that you will retire on December 31st, 2022. Um, and then of course, I get the question, you know, midway through 2022 of, he doesn't seem like he wants to retire anymore. Can we hold him to that? Uh, so how do you have that conversation of, how do you try to find out what someone's future plans are and you know, as far as retirement or, or other, other plans go when they're getting towards that age?
1: So I wanna start by uh, addressing the end of your sentence, the towards that age. So just a little bit of reality check. The retirement age was set at 65 in the 1930s. (laughs) The year that it was set at 65, life expectancy was 62. (laughs) We now have an 83-year life expectancy and a workplace mindset that is stuck in the 1930s. So we don't expect that we're only gonna live to 62 anymore, but we certainly expect that the people around us are only gonna work to 65. And that's simply not true. We've got decades of productivity that still happens. You mentioned in the intro that there's people working into their 70s and 80s, and that's not a remarkable thing. That's the fact of what happens when you gain additional decades of longevity. What we need to recognize though, is that people need somewhere to go. So just because we've added decades of productivity and we're working longer, doesn't mean that someone who had a 20 or 30 year career in a particular job or sector wants to now do that for 50 years. That sounds terrible. Nobody ever responds positively when I mention that. Everyone has this big sigh. But people that are really ready to move on and do something else, want to do something else. And so the healthy conversation is not so much, how long are you planning on hanging around here? But it's real significant interest in that employee and in the trajectory of their career in a way that honors the life stage that they're moving through. They're completing their mid-career and they're moving into their legacy career. And that has a whole bunch of different needs. They may need work structured differently. They may be interested in different things. The period of time between 55, when people tend to, in certain sectors, start to move into retirement, and 75, when we actually start to see true decline and starting to have different issues starting to impact us, is actually the longest segments of our career. And it's long enough for people to learn new skills and make changes. So managers would be in better shape to focus on that kind of positive forward-looking conversation, whether they move somewhere different inside of your organization or outside. If people don't see a place for them to go, they're not gonna go anywhere. And so we need to catch up to our own longevity and have a career perspective that actually allows us to be productive and meaningful and recognized through our entire 2020 working life, not the 1930s working life.
0: So that was when we first met, that was the part of the discussion that really stuck with me. And I still tell people about the discussion we had, uh, and how if you've got an older worker, the the question isn't, are you going to keep doing the same thing for the next 15, 20 years, or are you going to retire? It's, you know, is there another uh, aspect or another role that you can play? And I remember you mentioned mentoring as one option, um, but I'm sure there's obviously many, but it's actually a fascinating point because I don't know many people in HR or otherwise who have this conversation and who have any conversation other than, you know, maybe there'll be a, another potential promotion, but it's just sort of the same role moving up one level. There's never a discussion about a lateral change or just a change of the type of role to take on more of a mentoring role. It's just, are you going to keep doing this or are you going to leave? Uh, so, if you have that discussion, which I think is a great concept, and more organizations should be doing it, and you develop a plan, um, here's the question that I often end up getting: is we have some notional plan; it's usually very vague. Um, but you know, how do you recommend making sure that the employee is still on on the same page at the time, and maybe five years down the road? You, know, you, you said five years from now you're going to do this, um, but what if they change their perspective over that time?
1: So the first way that I'd respond to that is to take age initially out of the equation. So if you had a 30-year-old and they were in a high performance, let's say they'd been tapped or they'd been identified as a potential high performer in the future and they needed to do a couple of things and then eventually they were going to end up maybe being part of a succession plan. If five years went by, would you just assume that nothing changes over the course of the five years for that 30-year-old? Probably not. It's not a one and done kind of thing. And it's not a checkbox on a plan to say, "Okay, I've had the conversation. This person's going to go there. We're done. Instead, it's an ongoing conversation. And some of it is led by the employee. So I can give you an example of where uh, an organization was taken by surprise when they opened up the conversation, if you'd like. Sure, and uh, able to share the story. So
0: I, I wasn't was asking a- for a horror story and a good story, so I'm not sure which way we're going, but uh, I think it will be entertaining.
1: So, you know, Challenge Factory focuses on making a difference in the workplace and uh, shaping the kind of future that we have. So my stories tend not to be the horror stories. They tend to be more of the positive lessons. So there was an employee that was in accounting. They'd had a 28-year career in accounting, and it was determined that the employer, it's exactly like the scenario that you're describing. They were kind of ready for this person to move on. And the person was showing no signs of moving anywhere. And then they ended up having a career conversation where they explored with the employee, what else do they do outside of their job? that really brings them satisfaction, and what what have they been doing? Like what's happened since the last time they had a check-in, which happened to be six years prior? They learned that this person had become incredibly involved in their church, and actually had taken on four social media properties where they were the community manager, making sure that dialogue continued, that there was always positive messaging, that when people got in touch with the church, there was communication, and it was an ongoing discussion that was happening in the social media domain. They did this as a volunteer and they loved it. They had loved learning the skills. They loved the engagement and it was the most enjoyable part of their week because they also were a little tired of being in the same job after 28 years of doing the same work. That company had six social media community manager positions posted on their webpage, six. And so what they were able to do is to recognize that that person actually is a phenomenal fit. They know the brand. They know the voice, they know everything there is to know about that company. They're a phenomenal fit to be one of those community manager, uh, social media community managers. They moved into a part-time role right. as a social ma- media community manager, left the accounting department, and there wasn't any discussion of severance, retirement, hard feelings, how are we gonna, it was in everyone's interest and everyone ended up succeeding. They moved into their legacy career in a very different capacity that the company never imagined. They actually had the skills, the technology talent, or the interest in.
0: Yeah, well, as you said, that, that is definitely a positive story and that's a great result, which uh, unfortunately, from my perspective, I almost never see that type of situation play out. Um, but it just gets to your point earlier, earlier about communication. Uh, what I have seen sort of along those lines Uh, Not very often, but I have seen a similar situation where there was a discussion like that. I have no idea how it happened. It was probably more accidental than planned, Um, but it became clear that they had a worker who was, I think, around 60 at the time um, and was not particularly happy in his role anymore. And it became clear there was another role he would love. The problem was, you know, if he was sort of at, you know, level 13 in terms of the organization, he would be going back down to level seven with the commensurate pay decrease, Um, And he said he'd love to do it, but he can't, you know, he has a style of living he's accustomed to, so he can't afford that pay cut. So have you seen situations like that? And how have you seen that resolved?
1: I have. And in fact, the research shows that when we ask older workers what they're interested in in their careers, they actually are interested in less responsibility, fewer meetings and managing fewer people. So that implies the way that our organizations are structured and the hierarchy within our organizations, that it may, in fact, involve moving down the pay scale or moving down the organization. And this is where law and reality haven't necessarily caught up to longevity, to where we actually are. There's many examples okay. of that. <laughs> a lot of times, the, you know, the reduction in salary is perceived as a reduction in status. And so it's not so much about the money when, when we actually connect clients with financial planners and with other um, professionals, they readily admit they're actually okay. And it's not necessarily about continuing at the salary level. It's about identity, respect and the perception of their status. And that's again, because we have this outdated model that says you only continue to move up Mm -hmm. where most people in their career, actually many people never move up. And there's a whole cohort that's moving into a phase of life that is not as focused on moving up as it is on doing something that's meaningful and respected.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that I'm again sorry.
1: comes to how it's communicated.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, that, okay, you took the words out of my mouth actually, because you're right. Sometimes it is about the money, but usually it's not, especially if they've had a long career, they've moved up to a, a, along the highest levels Um, But you're right, it's a perception and a reputation thing. And if they feel that everyone's going to look at them and say, oh, well, he was clearly bumped down because it was probably either that or or being let go, uh, it's going to be a very real perception issue. And the the problem, of course, is our whole workplace is designed contrary to what you've just said. Because the whole notion is you're constantly moving up, up, up and up, and then you retire and you're done. Um, So, But you're right, it's all about communication. And culture.
1: I mean, that lays a cultural foundation as well that says, you know, what, what are the norms around here? The more we normalize the fact that we have working lives that extend beyond our early 60s, the more we'll start to see these kinds of flexible career paths and patterns. And it comes back to what I was saying earlier about career development being lifelong. There's appropriate career development to do at every age and stage, including how people make transitions either internally or externally in their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen similar situations where, again, it was uh, an older worker and older could be sort of 50, 55, 60, 65 or into the 70s, as you said. Uh, it's interesting though, I've seen more external transitions than intra. Uh, so I've seen many situations where the discussion has been, look, you know, either if you know, we don't have a role for you here anymore, or you don't seem to be happy in your role here anymore, but you've got a re- great relationship with this client or this customer or this supplier, we can probably get your role there. And I've seen that happen many times and that's actually worked out quite well. And it avoids that whole perception of it being a demotion because it's just that they're going and pursuing a whole new career path at that point. So that can actually work out quite well as well.
1: It does, it helps both for the individual who can keep their identity intact and for the organization. And it can even be made even stronger if a culture and a norm around alumni becomes a part of the organization's uh, career paths and structure. That when people leave the organization, they're not just out, but they actually become a part of the alumni that continue to bring value back to the organization in all kinds of ways. I've worked for companies and brands that when I'm introduced, often their names are dropped as part of my background. I'm still a part of their value chain. You know, My work is still associated with those brands, even though I may not have worked there in 20 years. So that person moving on to that client is a success story that reflects well back on the company. So I think this idea that once they're gone, they have no status at all, actually prevents people from wanting to make moves because who wants to feel like a nobody? They may not be appreciated in the job that they're in now, but at least they know who they are and they have a status. If companies started to recognize the status of alumni, people who were ready to make that kind of transition later in life would feel like there was some kind of status and identity in being an alumni of company XYZ and may proactively approach these kinds of decisions.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think of the law firm example is perfect. I know there are some large firms who have that alumni program and they have events that have get togethers, but they also just recognize the fact that someone is an alumni now they are at this company or they're even if they're at a different firm, a competing firm, they still have that alumni network. And for, especially if you're going to a customer or a client, you're now in many ways more valuable right. uh, than you may have been in the court in the company or in the firm. So in, in many ways, it can create uh, an increase in your perceived value, which works so well for everyone. Like you said, uh, that's right. Now, I'm mindful of time and we haven't talked about uh, the five drivers and I don't, I don't know if you want to touch on that briefly.
1: Sure, so often when we talk about the future of work it becomes this big ball of wax with too many things to be able to sort out, too many strings to pull and it's just this big knot. The more you pull on an issue the tighter and tighter it gets. So one of the things that we've done at Challenge Factory is come up with a model called the five drivers. And we use this as a comprehensiveness test whenever there's an issue that's related to the workforce, to employment, to careers, to leadership. We'd use it to see what's actually happening and what interventions should companies consider in order to get out ahead of the driver. So the five drivers that help us make sense of the future of work are demographics and longevity. That's the one that we've been really focusing on through the course of this discussion. The second one is career ownership. And that's the relationship between employer and employee. Who owns career? And in our discussion so far, we've had a good discussion about, you know, who owns these conversations? Whose job is it to initiate it? What competence do we need to each have to manage our own careers and to help those that work for us manage their careers? The third driver is understanding the freelancing gig economy and doing some myth busting there about what is and isn't true about those types of structures. And then we get into the fourth and fifth driver, which looks more at technologies and how they impact the workforce. What platforms are transforming how work is done and how does AI, robotics and technologies impact what jobs there will be in the future? Those are the fourth and fifth, because actually the things that are impacting organizations the most today are the first and second drivers. AI technology, the the last ones get a lot of play and a lot of discussion. But Mm -hmm. if you think about the issues that come to you, my guess is there's very few that are wondering how to structure an employment uh, contract with a robot. And instead, it's much more focused on older workers, specific demographic groups, aging in the workplace, um, as well as career ownership and a difficult relationship between employer and employees.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right, although they, they certainly use Google to try to find an employment contract rather than having a lawyer do it, so that's that's nothing new. Uh, we will have to, have to cut back at some point to talk about some of those issues, including the gig economy uh, another time. I'll wrap up our discussion now, but uh, and normally at this point, I would have my chance to fire away. I am going to pass the puck over to Lisa, and Lisa, give you a chance to uh, to take your shot and and fire away, Uh, and I believe you're gonna talk, at least focus on veterans in the workplace, but uh, I'll let you take it from here.
1: Yeah, so we've been talking about older... (laughs) So we've been talking about older workers, and older workers are a hidden talent pool, if we can figure out how to access them and use them in a way that's appropriate to their life stage. In Canada, there are many hidden talent pools, even in an era and an environment where people say it's really hard to find great talent. And one of those talent pools happens to be veterans. Around November 11th, there's a lot of discussion about veterans and workplaces hold ceremonies. They send messages to their managers and staff. And then starting November 12th, we tend to move on. Everyone tends to focus on American Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Christmas holidays. And before you know it, it's almost November 11th again and we are reminded, oh yes, right, there's people that have served. But every year, more than 10,000 veterans leave the Canadian Armed Forces and they join the civilian workplace and they are fit and ready to work. Preconceived bias and notions of what it is like to serve, will they be a good fit in our organization, often prevents them from entering the organizations that they want to work for. And so we've worked really hard to take some of those biases and perceptions, take some of the research, and put it into a guide that allows you to have practical tools that hits right on the head. Why should you think about hiring veterans the next time you're looking for someone where, You need resilience, crisis management skills to be able to adapt to continuing changing landscape, to be able to operate with efficiency at the core, even as the the rules of the game continue to change around you. They're great communicators and employers overlook them. So, Several days now after Remembrance Day is actually the best day to be talking about hiring veterans. And tomorrow will also be the best day. In fact, almost any day but November 11th is the best day for you to consider how this hidden talent pool actually might accelerate your pandemic recovery because they know how to do that. And so I encourage all of you to consider how you might be overlooking other hidden talent pools, whether it's veterans, older workers, What preconceived notions and biases about where there is and isn't good talent is holding you back from achieving what you want to achieve? And then let's talk about it.
0: Great, thank you so much, Lisa. And I love your message about not only thinking about veterans on November 11th, but the other 364 days of the year. And just a reminder to everyone that you've got your Canadian Guide to Hiring Veterans, which was recently published and it's a great, a great tool as well. So thank you. And and, um, I do want to thank you so much for joining us for this season three, episode 10 of Fire Away. What's the best way for people to find you if they want to look you up?
1: So challengefactory.ca is the website. And on Twitter, I'm at change paths.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much again. That was great. And as I said, it would, it just flew by. So we'll have to have you back on again at some point. My pleasure. So as I said, that's all the time we have for this episode 10 of season three of Fire Away. At Rodner Law, we wanna make, make sure people are making informed decisions when it comes to workplace issues. So please remember that your employment relationships are legal relationships. And I will invite you as I always do, to keep up to, up to date with employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter, and checking out our COVID-19 resource center. But as I always say, none of that replaces legal advice If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Our um, our next episode will air on Tuesday, December 15th. I'm going to be joined by by Michael Bach, who is the author of Birds of All Feathers, Doing Diversity and Inclusivity. Sorry, I've got something in front of my screen there. Doing Diversity and Inclusion Right, which should be a fantastic discussion. Michael is extremely well known and respected in the area of inclusivity and diversity. I think you will have some great comments for us. Uh, So that's on Tuesday, December 15th. Past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you like our page or subscribe to our channels, you'll get notifications when the episodes are live. And as always, I wanna thank Rob, Rebecca, Mark, and everyone for helping put on on the show and making it go so smoothly. And last but not least, Lisa Taylor, thank you again for joining me. And to everyone else, it's November 17th. We are still not out of this pandemic. So I'll encourage everyone to, uh, to stay informed, but also to stay safe. Take care, and we'll see you next time just before the holidays.